0: Welcome, um, everyone, to Wednesday evening Clear Mountain live stream and Zoom session. Today, we're blessed to be joined by Swami Atmavindinanda Giri, and I've been assured I am saying his name correctly. Swami, yeah. it's, it's so great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank, thank, thank you so you. much for inviting me. Of course, and Swami and I met uh, for the first time last spring when Guruji uh, was visiting in Seattle for an interfaith event. Is that correct, Swami? Right, right. that's correct. Okay. Well, I was hoping to introduce you and then um, I get to ask some questions. And hopefully this is a special first of uh, growing friendship between our communities. Um, Swami is usually based in an uh, ashram in near Seattle. and. Um, I think there's immense resonance between the two traditions and much we can learn. So uh, if I could begin just with a brief introduction. Please. Uh, Swami Atmadvindyanandagiri, a senior monk in the lineage of Paramahansa Hariharananda and Paramahansa Prajnananda, currently vice president of Kriya Yoga Institute, has been tireless teaching Kriya Yoga to sincere seekers since 2004. Swami Atmavindyananda was born Arvind Joshi in a traditional Brahmin family in 1971 in Bhopal, India. At an early age, the spiritual environment and guidance of his parents nurtured in him a sincere quest for God. Upon completion of a degree in mechanical engineering, he met Paramahansa Hariharananda and with his blessing was initiated into Kriya Yoga in 1994. Under the direction of his master, He traveled outside India in 2006 to teach Kriya Yoga in the West, learning to speak six languages in order to connect more intimately with those he meets. He was ordained as a monk in the Giri monastic order in 2009 and given the name Swami Atmavindananda, which means bliss of self-knowledge. While primarily dedicated to the cause of Kriya Yoga, he is also an expert in astrology, Eastern and Western scriptures, other ancient yogic practices and Vedic ritual ceremonies. As a resident monk of the Kriya Yoga Institute, he resides in the Kriya Dhyana Mandir Temple of Meditation in Monroe, Washington. So, Swami, it's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thank you very much for meeting me.
0: And um, if we could begin, just would you mind what what is Kriya Yoga and what drew you to it? Um, what was your path to ordination, if we can begin there? okay thank you first i humbly
1: bow to one supreme reality and all the saints and sages of all times and places and all the masters i humbly bow to living presence of divinity in each one of you as your question is about kriya yoga so kriya yoga is the most ancient and scientific technique of meditation, which uh, predates the Vedic era. And if we uh, look into the history or the scriptures, like um, the oldest scriptures are the Vedas. In the Rig Veda commentary, there are some mantras mentioned about the Kriya Yoga techniques. So it's 12,000, more than 12,000 years old. And we have references in ancient scriptures Uh, like 8,000, 10,000, 9,000, 5,000 years old, at least 35 ancient, authentic scriptures where Kriya Yoga and the techniques are mentioned. It is a very simple technique we practice, which is based on uh, mainly the breath regulation, pranayama, and some concentration techniques, which is very easy to uh, practice for any layman, because we all are breathing. And I think this is the very common factor between um, your practices and our practice, that it is mostly based on the breath, which is the link or key to reach the summit of uh,
0: realization. I think that's Uh, true. And what is the, uh, in Kriya Yoga, what's conceived of as the summit of realization? What is enlightenment? And is that even the term?
1: As we practice the path of yoga, which is Kriya Yoga, So in path of yoga the highest um, summit or uh, the goal to reach is we call it samadhi samadhi is uh, actually it is a sanskrit word sama or samahit means intellect and samahit means completely absorbed or become one with so when all our um, senses all our mind and body consciousness we transcend them And we establish ourselves in the real identity, going beyond all these conditionings. So that experience of uh, state, higher conscious state, we call it samadhi. And uh, that is the goal of um, our life and uh, our practice, also to reach that state through our practice.
0: And Swami, um, I assume that part of your path towards robes or... Monastic life was catalyzed by encounters with people you felt had achieved that state or neared it. So, would you be able to speak a bit to what drew you to enter a life devoted towards uh, awakening?
1: I began this journey much earlier because, as I heard from my parents, very interestingly, I heard from my parents that they wanted a son after five daughters <laughs> and so they went to their, their realized master back in india householder yogi and asked for a blessing so he said okay first he said why why you are asking for a son because there is no difference between sons and daughters but my father was a little bit more adamant that being brahmin he said no no i want a son So after that blessing, uh, next year I was born. I don't know what happened. Nobody told me, but I got a beautiful spiritual environment from my parents at home. And um, uh, reading the uh, spiritual books by his master and following some uh, practices from the age of five, it just came to my mind that this is uh, my path. I had to become a monk. It was very strongly in my mind and i can say maybe it is the past life samskara <laughs> that's some unfinished work <laughs> so that led me to uh, think about this path and uh, i just uh, followed very fortunately god and the realized masters helped me i found a spiritual mentor at the early age of 18 when i was in i completed my high school and went to my undergraduation he guided me for certain yogic practices. And then he brought me to Kriya Yoga himself. So I didn't search for anything. It was like all blessings of divine. It found you. Yeah, maybe Destined. <laughs> <this> <laughs> and
0: uh, what was, I mean, I think many will know your lineage most from Autobiography of a Yoga, of right. a yoga which is such a famous uh, book. Your teacher you found at 18, was that Paramahansa? Um, Uh, And what drew drew you to him? What was your or do you have any sort of stories or uh, Tales of what inspired you towards that teacher or towards your teachers?
1: It was I just met coincidentally with the teacher because uh, my elder sister wanted to have some consultation about the Vedic astrology and he is supposed to be a very good uh, spiritual Vedic astrologer I was just accompanying my sister and he asked, do you have any question? And I said, yes. <laughs> I had question, when I will become a monk? And then he said, you are already a monk. your all... <laughs> birth chart tells that. So, and but that meeting, I felt that he is not just astrologer, he a very spiritual person which mm. came true. I experienced and And he told, don't worry, I will guide you. So then he told me actually that I'm destined for Kriya Yoga because initially I was uh, thinking maybe I should follow the path of Tantra for Kundalini Awakening because that's what I had also studied and did little bit of practice Uh, but then he said no no you are for Kriya Yoga (laughs) so he he himself personally brought me to my um, uh, master Paramahansa Hariharanandaji got me initiated and he said now you're on the right path so it's just
0: Happened. Do you have any stories to share with us of these masters you've encountered, like particular tales of loving kindness that you found especially moving, one or two, or moments that really um, have sort of stuck out in your memory and life as as landmarks of faith with these teachers?
1: Uh, my spiritual mentor also had some, has some yogic powers. So he, he i was amazed to see as a student that how could he tell things which are happening somewhere like thousands of miles away where he could see and tell uh, later on he he told told me the secret of these uh, in very simple word if i share with you uh, once i asked him that um, how do you know about this what person is thinking how do you know that this particular object is placed in this shelf at this place uh, so he could tell very clearly he said that if you know your breath you will be able to know what is happening in the mm. entire universe because the same prana which we are taking in through our breath the same prana is all pervading in the entire universe so that was the key however and um, uh, i I met my spiritual master who initiated me into kriya yoga my uh, master paramansa Hari Haranandaji. When I met him, he was 87 years old. And he has attended Nirvikal Samadhi, the highest state, and demonstrated this state many times, like hundreds of times, in, uh, in the West, in India also. And once, when I met him first time, he greeted me. He was lying down on the couch, smiling with a bright face, like a thousand watts neon lamp that so much peace and love and uh, wisdom is emanating from his face and he just told me that it, it was your strong desire that's why you have come to me and then he repeated two sentences which i had spoken to my elder sister who is also a monk now uh, three months ago i had told something and that was in india and and at that time my master was in usa but you were telling to your sister these sentences at that time i said oh god i cannot hide anything from these masters they know every single thing that was very amazing first meeting and uh, i got a beautiful some instructions from him the humility the the compassion the love which i have seen in my masters like uh, Paramahansa Hariharanaji Maharaj, and the current master also, who gave me sannyas Diksha Mahamkud, Paramahansa Pachyananaji, who you have met him in the interfaith. Amazing. I, I can say, sir, that um, in, in many traditions, I have seen highly exalted or realized masters also back in India. But uh, combination of a few things like wisdom, humor, love compassion uh, and uh, same time you cannot find everything in one person it's very rare A person who is wise who is uh, realized who is also you know down to earth with people and very humble and even compassionate so it was amazing with these masters in our lineage and that was the key that i found no no this is the right place and uh, lineage to follow. I remember
0: I was watching a video uh, you you did on Guru Dev, I believe, and you referenced these teachings that he spoke to, saying you must be humbler than a blade of grass, patient as a tree. Yes. Give up the sense of self and sing mm-hmm. constantly the name of God. Are these? Are these? Um, who was that teacher? And are these teachings that kind of form a core of your practice?
1: yes that's exactly what uh, my master Parman's harihara Nanji and current master they have given example uh, by living that type of life and that this is a beautiful teaching actually from uh, chaitanya mahaprabhu in his uh, one of his writings uh, shiksha Takam, he has written trnadapi suni chena means you should be humbler than the blade of grass then um, uh, you should be tolerant like a tree more than that. And uh, all the time, remember name of God and help people in many ways. So this is what I have seen in this master's life. They are, they, they are, lived like they, they are living like that. And, and that's what we want to follow, that this is the real purpose of life. And
0: what does that humility look like in someone? Because I've noticed that that seems to be something you emphasized again and again is to be humble, um, what what does that mean mm-hmm. to you and, and how have you seen it? Uh,
1: I have experienced, and even everybody on the spiritual path also knows this very well, that ego is the barrier to our spiritual progress. And we have to transcend that. And that the the counterpart of ego is that humility. The moment we become more humble, then uh, we are qualified to follow this path and only then we can progress. Otherwise, it's like all the time, if my mind is telling, I'm trying to follow my mind, but I'm not saying that. So ego is the good for us, which is the inner instrument given by God, but we have to transcend that also. Otherwise, we are uh, limited to our own self, but we have to expand. Then only we can experience that highest state, which is oneness. My own consciousness is everywhere. So uh, humility is, I have seen uh, one incident I might be, into, you know, I, I would like to share that, uh, that how these masters, they don't preach us, they don't teach us only, but they give the example by living like that. I was, um, um, my master, current master, paramansi uh, Guruji, yeah, we call him Sri Guruji, so he visited the Miami ashram for a retreat while returning on uh, Miami airport. On the aisle, uh, there was a monk standing with a couple of uh, people. And we were just walking. Suddenly, Guruji stopped. And uh, he went straightway to the monk and bowed flatly.
0: Hmm.
1: And so I followed him. But other people were uh, standing, and after they had some chat and he, he he's a monk from Ramakrishna Mission. So in the discussion, it came to know that, who are you? Who are you like that? Where are you, Swamiji, from? <laughs> and after that, uh, when we walked before boarding, Sri Guruji looked at all of us and he said, what did you learn today? <laughs> 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 and what did you see? So we said, all of us said that um, we saw that there was a monk and Guruji went and bowed to him. And it was a bowing flag. And, um, he said that, then what did you learn? Your guru has bowed to a monk paying respect, and you are standing like a tree, so <laughs> egoistic. Do you have any humility? This is not what I have taught you. So I mean, this is the. these are some examples. He didn't know the monk, but just because a person was wearing this orange clothes mm-hmm. as a monk, he completely bowed. And he's a realized master, no matter who the other person is, but this is how he has taught us. I was
0: was very struck when he visited Seattle um, of, I mean, he'd taken a vow of silence for the past three years, I believe. And he each time he greeted each um, religious representative on the stage Mm -hmm. in a completely appropriate way for that lineage. You know, he gave Mm -hmm. a hug to one with the Buddhist monastic. He made Anjali and, you know, gave a gift. It was uh, a kind of impressive Testament to this ability to bend like grass like you said to the (laughs) moment and to the situation right thank you for sharing that swami well i want to let um if people want to type in questions for swami you may into the chat but i wanted to um ask a few more questions one is in terms of giving up the ego and relying more on this deeper intuition and consciousness you speak about the purpose of, of life and that calling in us mm-hmm. um, how does one know which voice is which how especially when there's so much static and noise in people's lives right now and so much um, division and conflict how do you recommend people in this day and era know which voice to listen to which voice is is their deeper deeper self
1: uh, uh, in in our practice we are taught to uh, practice surrender surrender to divine now it can be uh, any form or formless whichever because we in kriya yoga we have complete freedom uh, actually kriya yoga is not a religion because it's not based on any religious thing it is just simple technique a yogic technique based on breath regulation so uh, but yes there is some supreme reality whether you agree don't take but there is someone so that is the that you can say even pure consciousness higher consciousness super consciousness this is just the words <laughs> these are words so believe in something have that faith and surrender to that and then the guidance come from comes from within and that is the real intuition otherwise uh, most of the time it is our own intellect our own mind which is Suggesting something, and we think, oh, we know, but we really don't know anything. So, unless we surrender that, okay, I am here at the at your feet, or and the best way is to surrender at the feet of the guru or master, because we need someone um, tangible or someone with whom we can relate, see, or talk, or uh, so that becomes the medium for that supreme consciousness to surrender. So we surrender to guru, serve the guru, because. Humility comes only through service. The moment we serve, hmm. that's why um, the charity is the uh, part of all, all religions, all kinds of religions in the world. And service to master, service to humanity is the biggest service because service to humanity, service to nature, it is nothing but service to God Himself. Because hmm. God is we all believe that God is omnipresent. It's a different thing that we don't practice it. (laughs) But just believe that. So we have to practice and uh, to serve. Because normally people think that serving is only to serve the poor, serve the um, sick people. That's just one part. But serving, there are so many different avenues to contribute towards the creation.
0: And that brings actually the humility in us. How does one do that when, you know, we have so many people, they they touch teachings, they begin to intuit this deeper calling in their lives and associated with these ancient practices, and yet they have a life that's already packed full of a job they only nominally can endure, uh, numerous children, a Netflix account. How, mm-hmm. do you, how do you bring this sense of complete surrender and a devotion into a life like that such that it feels commensurate with the scope of the goal? It's a good question. I, I agree. It's, you know, surrender doesn't happen in
1: one day. <laughs> it's the most difficult thing uh, because mind always plays tricks. Uh, the, the, the steps for surrender or progress is that uh, first thing that we have to accept, we have to accept that there is some supremacy. We have to accept that, yes, I have a goal. We have to accept that, yes, I have some something which is missing and I have to complete it.
0: Mm.
1: And first accept, then we should have belief because that is the next step that there is something let me believe in. And once we believe, then only we can have some experience because belief can be blind belief. For belief, you don't need to inquire. Someone tells that there is a some some uh, heavy rain in seattle today and you are not going there to check you just accept because the person told so you just yeah i believe that you are you are right so it doesn't need any inquiry or experience directly but as we believe and we start some practice something that okay guru said do this i believe and i'm doing this Mm -hmm. then we develop faith because faith comes through experience through knowledge and through some experience and as we get faith it becomes strong and that leads us to complete surrender okay it's not my will whatever you say i'll do that so it goes through all these stages and it's it's not really so easy but yes one has to take step by step uh, and move forward
0: <laughs> thank you swami With the day to day practice of meditation, um, I know there are techniques very common in Buddhist practice, such as loving kindness, um, specifically spreading loving kindness to oneself and then the beings around one, and so on. Uh, There's following the breath at the nose or even in different areas of the body. Mm -hmm. What are, but you know, many people do hit um, walls with these techniques. What are some Kind of concrete meditative techniques in Kriya Yoga you found be effective for modern people and their proclivity to think a lot? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, thank you for this question. Actually, if we see uh, the classical text on yoga or the, the various scriptures when we read, there are uh, almost like 10 classical. Um, breathing techniques we call them pranayam. actually it's not just breathing but it's pranayam, which is a completely different meaning so um, each technique gives us some um, physical mental benefit intellectual benefit but kriya is completely different it is based on uh, the subtle breath it's not based on some physical breath like uh, abdominal breathing clavicular breathing or thoracic breathing or watching the gross breath, but it is more subtle and internalized breath, which uh, we practice through some scientific techniques, so which are taught only after the initiation, we call Diksha. So uh, after the initiation, purification things, and then we, uh, we teach these very simple techniques. So uh, we, we all know that I can tell you the very basic principle of these these techniques is uh, that hatha yoga pradipika which is the classical text on yoga in that uh, second chapter second verse it is written that uh, chale vate chalam chittam i'll translate for our audience just in english from sanskrit it says that if our breath is restless our mind is also restless because breath and mind they are correlated and causally connected and in our day-to-day life also we see that when we are angry our breath is very rapid 40 breath in one minute when we are um, very happy and peaceful eight to nine breath and it can be measured easily on a day-to-day basis when we are doing some heavy work the breath is like 24 breath per minute we have the data even so the breath and mind are correlated so what we need if you really want to slow down the mind or pacify the mind we have to work on the breath which is much easier than working on mind because mind is such a subtle instrument we have no control over that but since it is connected with the breath we can work on the breath we can take long deep breath we can take shallow or short breath we can hold the breath even so with the breath regulation we regulate the mind and as the breath becomes slow feeble with these scientific practices of pranayam, which we teach we transcend the mind, when mm-hmm. means we go to the state that there is no thought. Initially, mm-hmm. many thoughts, then selected thoughts, then one thought, because we have some concentration techniques, so step by step we move, and then it takes us to that transcendental state where our mind, there's no more mind, mind is there but dormant. So we transcend the time, causation, body consciousness, so all this conditioning will remain in completely state of nothingness, like uh, we also practice in Buddhism, or we can say a formless state where we experience bliss. That, okay. so, so these are the very simple techniques and anyone can learn and practice.
0: Is that state of formlessness, is that um, enlightenment and is it forever? Like when one encounters that, can is one purified or is it? Is there a backsliding? It goes actually uh,
1: both hand in hand because the moment we practice these techniques, it also purifies the mind. It also purifies the heart or our chakras, and then it, it simultaneously it happens. So we work on both sides, mm-hmm. and uh, we we transcend and uh, this formless state which we experience we call it meditation, which is actually the definition of meditation is mm-hmm. no thought. So it is there and that is the beginning or you can say the glimpse of um, the self realization so that's a stepping stone when we are established into that after a long and regular practice then we experience much deeper state which is called uh, samadhi and in yoga sutra patanjali there are different stages are mentioned Savitarka, nirvitarka or savikalpa samadhi samadhi so different levels or stages
0: we go through and Remain there. And uh, this is very interesting, Swami, and um, this actually links to a question uh, that Mary Webster is asking in the chat of, Swami, do you see different types of samadhi, or is it always the same state? And um, in the Buddhist conception, there are, as you know, these states of different refined concentration, um, mm-hmm. but then there's the application of insight where one perceives uh, dukkha and also that changeability of the conditioned realm with that mind strengthened and nourished by samadhi and that insights what breaks one through to ultimate uh, enlightenment. With this uh, um, paradigm, when you do reach those really higher states of samadhi, is it a thing that just slowly alters the the mind until it, it becomes enlightened on its own? Or is there a a shift at one point after a refined state has been reached?
1: No, it, it is actually gradual progression. And uh, in our practice, we have experienced and lot hundreds of people also experienced that as we start practice, this refinement starts and our mind, which is mostly limited, that my home, my family, my job, then suddenly the shifts happens it starts like expanding the domain from myself to my family to my surrounding my and then slowly it expands to the country and then entire universe becomes one family so it's not that we have to put extra effort for that but it simultaneously happens because meditation expands our consciousness so the, our mind also becomes very f- expanded and more uh, you know understanding is developed that it's not me i'm just a little part but It's all myself and this entire creation, which is the presence of creator himself. So that link slowly, we start, uh, you know, joining the dots and we reach that state. So it's refinement is the part of cleansing and refinement. Both are simultaneously happening with these scientific
0: techniques. And with rebirth, you know, there's this sense of a dot jumping to a new dot, to a new dot, to use a really simple paradigm. As you, you speak mm-hmm. about the mind expanding to encompass more and more dots, quote unquote, until the mind is as large as as God uh, in, in this conception, is, is that mm-hmm. the end point? Does rebirth end for one who is enlightened? Or do they enter a state where they continue to be reborn, but uh, somehow exist um, also above or apart from samskara? Uh-
1: the reason for rebirth for any soul is the past samskaras or we say we call it the prarabdha karma so long as we have those impressions that samskaras pending one has to come back because what as per the law of karma uh, it says that whatever we do whether it is physical mental or verbal action it has some result and it leaves some impression behind, which are stored in our subconscious and unconscious mind. So unless we experience those uh, impressions, we exhaust them on this physical body, they cannot be um, uh, destroyed because there is no way. Once they are there, we have to get the fruits of action. By meditation, especially Kriya technique, it is possible to destroy the samchit karma which are accumulated over many lifetimes because they are in the backpack yet they have not yet given fruits but the present karma which is prarabdha karma we can completely destroy and by working out in a much uh, you know less intensity and easy way and the backpack like sanchit can be completely destroyed in one lifetime by practice yeah. of kriya yoga so once we have no more impressions to bring us back into the uh, future lifetimes, then there is complete liberation. We are not reborn anymore. And that happens when one attains the Samadhi state as per the yoga, or especially Kriya Yoga.
0: And that's what's called Samadhi. Or is there a certain name for that Samadhi?
1: Right. But you know, interestingly, it's not the end of the journey, (laughs) because once we leave this physical body, we are liberated when there is no more impression to be reborn. But still the subtle or astral body and causal body are existing. Mm. And they still go in the higher planes of existence, different lokas. And there the meditation of sadhana continues to shred off these causal and subtle bodies also. And then finally the pure soul is merged into the supreme reality at some point. And that- of course i cannot tell you when but i can tell
0: you what we are doing here. and and that that oversoul or it, in in this in this kind of paradigm that is beyond and encompasses all yes okay. thank you I, I remember in autobiography of a yogi he speaks about being visited by his teacher who speaks about being born in one mm-hmm. of these astral realms and it struck me as completely the same as in Buddhist cosmology, the realm of the non-returners, the Anagamis, these astral realms where people just practice Dhamma together. Um, That's fascinating, Swami, thank you. I think we have some other questions.
1: No, please go ahead.
0: Swami, was your long vow of silence taken in solitude? Or were you quiet out in the world? Were there unexpected benefits of long term silence? Thank you.
1: Uh, Okay, so thank you. Let me clarify that it was the long vow of silence by my master, not by me. And during his uh, uh, vow of silence, he was not in the world. He was completely in seclusion. And then he came out after two years uh, approximately, but he still maintained the vow of silence. Only he gives some satsang or a lecture on some scriptural topics rest of the time he is still maintaining the silence and more secluded so he spends time with people only during one class
0: or such sensation and that's guruji correct am i guruji, correct right. in thinking i remember when we first visited the ashram in seattle you all didn't know where he was he was somewhere in india and he just disappeared yep. into somewhere and <laughs> you were like we don't know where he is but he hopefully comes pops up again soon and comes back. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's yeah. correct. Because he just told before uh, going to seclusion that I will be in silence and seclusion mm-hmm. and you yeah. don't need to contact me. I'll come back when I feel.
0: <laughs> and and Gu, uh, Swami, in India, many of us who have gone there, it um, it's a unique environment completely in that the mundane and the dark in the world is so mixed with the bright as well. It's it's the most rich place I've ever been in so many ways, and it can be very overwhelming for someone. Have you do you find mm-hmm. you miss it? Um, and, and what and were you able to really find all these kind of are there spiritual masters sort of um, existing within that that realm right now that uh, in India as well.
1: Yes, you're very right that um, India is a, uh, you know, you can find contrast in many ways in India. It's a strange uh, but beautiful country. I miss the company of some holy people in the West, especially. But I'm fortunate that uh, I'm in contact with uh, some holy people like you all. So It it is very, you know, consolation for me. But yes, uh, for holy company, sometimes I miss because there are so many uh, sadhus, so many saints and sages from different traditions. And we learn a lot and in their company. Uh, but yes, uh, the on the other hand, um, I have accepted this life. My master has told I'm just following that. So for me, India or in any part of the world, because for me, my master is always with me. And it is not the words I'm speaking. It is my own inner feeling. I have always felt his presence and guidance. So uh, uh, it doesn't matter whether we are. and my master has taught me I'm trying to practice Mm. to see God in all. So whatever we perceive in the entire creation, no matter where we are, no matter whom we are talking to, it is the core principle of Kriya Yoga Kriya and Ya to perceive divinity in every activity and every person, every breath. So we are fine with that.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Swami. We have another question here. How would Kriya Yoga practice relate to yoga as commonly conceptualized and practiced in the US? In
1: USA, um, people are so much interested and uh, very welcoming about the yoga practices. Uh, and Kriya Yoga has been growing very well uh, not only in north america but more in south america also people are welcoming uh, let me clarify one thing you know many uh, forums i had told also before uh, kriya yoga is not a religion and you know especially there is a very big difference between any religion and yoga Any yoga and religion i'll tell you what is the difference any religion we talk in the world is definitely based on one element, which is called faith. You have to have faith in something. It may be abstract. It may be some form. It may be guru. It may be your own self. But you have to have faith. But yoga is not based on faith. Hmm. Yoga is experimental, experiential. You just learn, practice, and you experience it, whether you believe in God or no, no problem. So that's why USA is a beautiful country which has welcomed people from all the different areas and especially the spirituality and yoga is very popular here. And I'm happy that people have accepted here wholeheartedly. Mm. Look, it's not related to any community, country or place. Mm. Wisdom is for everybody, for the entire humanity. And we all are one family. Mm. So just coming from one room to other room.
0: (laughs) I like that way of putting it is the quieting of your mind where there is no thinking jhana and i think you'd call it dhyana yeah
1: dhyana actually dhyana is that state where there is uh, no thought Mm -hmm. of course it's not easy but yes some scientific technique as i told you about the breath it takes us to the state where there's no mind it doesn't mean that mind has died mind becomes dormant just like in our deep sleep state the mind is there, but it is not playing, it is dormant. Mm-hmm. In s- dream state, it's still mind plays, subconscious mind. But in d- deep sleep state, the mind is dormant. Our causal body is active only. Mm-hmm. The physical body is all not active. So, this dhyana means it is Turiya, the fourth state, transcendental state, where you transcend even that state of uh, uh, mind. It's, and uh, so th- in that state, you actually receive jnana. If you t- talk about dhyana. So dhyana is that state which t- gives you the experience of who you are. And that is the jnana, the real knowledge that you know your real identity. Hmm. And
0: what is your real identity?
1: Real identity that we are not limited, this body or mind, but we are this essential soul, which is the pure form of energy. Hmm. I I can say that for a layman, I can say that uh, if you talk about the supreme reality, it's like an ocean, Mm. an ocean, and we are just drop of that ocean. But if you take a drop of water from the ocean, the physical and chemical properties are same, you can analyze. Mm. So also, God is known as Sat Chit Ananda in Vedanta and Yoga also we accept it. Sat means eternity, truth. Chit means pure consciousness and Ananda, the bliss. So that is the attribute given, and the soul has the same attribute. Mm. So once we start at, uh, feeling that and experiencing little by little, we expand, and then we say, "Oh, it's not just me; it is I am I and He. They, we are one. Like in Christianity, people say that and, uh, when Jesus said that, "I and my Father are one." Mm. That's the state of union. So apparently there is separation in the beginning because of our own individual mm-hmm. mind. But when we are connecting slowly, then we realize that it is the same consciousness playing everywhere.
0: Thank you. And Swami, I'm, I'm curious, um, at the end of autobiography, no, at the end of his life, um, uh, Yogananda uh, famously designated the night that he would be um, leaving his body and I believe it was a Mm -hmm. can you tell that story that 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 kind of account and it's a common practice among masters in your tradition to designate a time of of death what what is that practice and why
1: When a person gets uh, nirvikalpa samadhi, in, the, in our path, we call it the highest state, nirvikalpa samadhi, the person is free from karmic bond and the person is established in knowledge. So they know when they are going to leave the body. So it's kind of, you can say that graceful, um, conscious exit from the body. So they know very well. And uh, because achieving nirvikal samadhi, they already practice it That for a short period of time they enter into that state and my master demonstrated like Paramahansa Yogananji also that when he was telling um, the audience even including the medical doctors team of doctors with all their equipments they put on the body and then he said I'm going to enter Niro Samadhi and just he concentrates maybe less than a minute or so he enters into that and when doctors check there is no pulse there is no heartbeat and they said that he is clinically dead and after half an hour he comes back So Paramahansa Yogananji did that. My master did that hundreds of time demonstrated. So They already know when the time comes. So that's why Paramahansa Yogananji had predicted. And my master also had given the hint that he has this much time. Even uh, some of our monks in our lineage clearly told. uh, Forget about the monks. Even uh, those who are spiritual householder people, including my father and uncle, clearly told that I have one month left. And I said, oh, how can you say so you are you have no disease, you're perfectly fine. He said, No, I know. Only exactly after that time they leave. So when a person's in, you know, mind is not playing and the you know, that they are having this intuition, because they are more connected with the cosmic source, so they have this knowledge that when the time comes, I think that anyone who goes deeper into the practice and slowly expands his consciousness can mm-hmm. easily know or yeah, And it's not
0: painful anymore. No, that's, uh, <laughs> there's so many interesting resonances here The the Buddha designated the time of his death or uh, predicted it. And the state of Samadhi where the pulse stops seems very similar to what we call the, you know, the fourth jhana where all breath and movement and vitality seem completely quieted. So I really appreciate you bringing up these uh, kind of similarities. It's fascinating to hear. And um, Swami, I do think we have to uh, wrap things up. It's been 45 minutes, but Shoot. I'm so I'm so grateful that you joined us. I know you're teaching a retreat in Chicago right now and you still managed to hop on Zoom or the, the live stream with us. How much longer are you there for?
1: Uh, I'm here until this Sunday, and Monday I'll be going back to Seattle for another week <laughs> before I head for the next journey. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: well, um, Swami, thank you so much for for joining us, really. Um,
1: thank you so much uh, to you and um, all the holy people in your monastery, my humble pranams to them. And also, uh, I'm thankful to all the audience for this beautiful opportunity and hope that we will continue interacting with each other and uh, work together because we are on the same path. And just we'll try our best. I will. Uh, praying to Supreme Reality, praying to the Masters to give us more uh, discipline in our strength, peace, prosperity, and love. Thank you all.
0: Sadhu, sadhu.
1: I to you all,
0: Thank you, Swami. I hope we see you in Seattle. Sure. And for those who want, um, generally, we now have a Zoom session where people can join and have a more intimate um, discussion. Uh, I pasted the link into the chat. And if uh, you can't see that for whatever reason, then feel free to go to clearmountainmonastery.org and scroll down to the Wednesday evening live streams, and there should be a Zoom link there. So we hope to see you all there. And Swami, take care. Have a wonderful retreat, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Have a nice time.